This is the Michael Slate Show, and I'm your guest host for today, Annie Day. We've got a packed show today, and I want to bring you right on the top an interview with Victoria Eggers. She led a dramatic and very powerful action yesterday at LACMA, sounding the alarm about the abortion rights emergency, sounding the alarm and calling people into the streets. So we're going to hear from her. She's a U.S. vet. She is an activist with Rise Up for Abortion Rights. She's going to open the show, and then we're going to bring you some powerful and urgent segments from the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, about this abortion rights emergency, about what has been the impact since the fall of Roe v. Wade. We just passed the one-month mark of a country, of being in a country that is legally subordinating women to the status of incubator and breeder. What impact has that had? We're going to hear a segment from Sansara Taylor, who guest hosted this show last week. You're going to hear from her today. You're going to hear from her again next week. Uh, you're going to hear from directly from Bob Avakian, a revolutionary leader and architect of the new communism, uh, segments from him about leadership, what kind of leadership, and you're going to hear a little bit more about the attacks on Bob Avakian and the Revcoms What's really, what are are these really all about when headlines scream uh, communist occult hijacks abortion rights movement? What are they trying to hide from you? What don't they want you to know? We're going to hear a little bit more about that uh, from the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show. So we've got a lot for you today about the moment we're in, about how to understand the situation, how to act on it. What kind of leadership do we have? What kind of leadership do we need? What do people need to be doing right now in this moment? That's, uh, I think, I guess, a certain theme of our show. Uh, so, like I said, I'm, I'm Annie Day. I am uh, a follower of the revolutionary leader, Bob Vakian. I um, uh, have been working with the L.A. chapter of Rise Up for Abortion Rights, and I've been working closely with my first guest, Victoria. Um, so why don't we just let you introduce yourself. Victoria, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Well, welcome to the Michael Slate Show. Thank you. I'm glad to be on. My name is Victoria Eggers. I am one of an organizer with the LA uh, chapter of Rise Up and also for Vets Rise for Roe. And I was very proud to be part of that action yesterday at LACMA. So people can go online and see these very striking images if you go to if you go to Vets Rise for Row, if you go to uh, Rise Number Four Abortion Rights LA on Instagram, you can see these images. Why don't you tell the listening audience what happened yesterday and why? So yesterday, um, me and another activist uh, were compelled to do a nonviolent civil disobedience, and at the LACMA, at the we chose the LACMA specifically because. We wanted to do a performance art piece because I'm an artist at heart. And that's something very near and dear to me. So I wanted to, it to be a visual statement and something where it just brings the reality of what's really going to happen to the visual. So we were um, chained to the light post in front of the LACMA, the urban light art display, um, surrounded by four fake bodies with a pool of blood and hangers. And basically saying that we won't go back, we will never surrender, and we want legal abortion nationwide. And really speaking, from I spoke from my angle as a veteran, as I didn't serve my country for over six years to have freedom stripped away from women, from all women across this country. And if one woman is not free, no one is free. 
Yeah, and the um, I think that's that's important. And, and again, the, the images were powerful. Why civil disobedience right now? Why why nonviolent civil disobedience? What do you think that is is aiming to accomplish? So to me, I think it's um it's really important because taking away a, a hard fought right that we have one that I was born with is not normal. It is not normal. We should not go back to normal life because no business as usual. And if we go back to normal life, we're just telling them that best is okay, that you could take away the women's rights. And then they're coming after contraception and LGBTQ family next. Like we need to come together and unite against this cause because it's not stopping. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, that happened yesterday, this, this, this amidst the sea of fake blood, the imagery of the coat hangers, I know there's some people who are saying, well, you shouldn't do that. That stigmatizes abortion. But why do you think that, that shocking and uh, very visceral imagery is important? I think it's really important because it, it really showcases the reality of what's going to happen. Like, you may not want to face that, but that is the truth. We had one of another activist who did um, a performance of Jerry Santoro, which was extremely powerful because she was the image of our fight for pro-choice before I was even born. And the fact that we have to go back 62 years to use the same image of this woman who had this abortion go wrong and ended up costing her own life. Like we shouldn't be in that same situation now. We're in the 21st century and we're talking about going backwards. Yeah. And it's uh, just for people who don't know, the imagery is uh, in 1964, she died. Jerry Santoro died in a hotel room from a botched abortion. And that picture became a, a symbol of a determination not to go back, and a determination to fight for the rest, to, the, for, to fight for the legalization of abortion rights. And when abortion was finally legalized in 1973, that image was put on the cover of Ms. Magazine with the words, we won't go back. Um, and I think you're right in terms of, of how, um, you know, we've seen in the last month what it means when women don't have access to abortion in terms of miscarriages that nearly you know, are bleed out and women die from, you know, nearly dying from septic shock, um, women being forced to cross state lines. Uh, one story of a woman in an airplane nearly bleeding out from a miscarriage as she was crossing state lines to be able to access uh, a safe abortion. Um, so I, I, I think that's important and, and, and right to really put that in people's face. Um, I think, you know, I, I guess there's sort of two questions I want to ask you in our last couple minutes of, one, what what would you say personally to people who, I guess I'll ask them one by one, what would you say personally to people who say, I really care about this question, um, but then they're not acting? How how would you challenge that, that segment of people? So I'm facing a lot of those people um, within my own friend group and my own family as well. And the question I pose to them is, what do you stand for? And at what point is enough enough? Because you may not be okay with just the decision, but if you don't start using your voice and speaking up for yourself, there is no magic hero. There is no one to switch, switch the light flip and it's going to be okay again. Like it takes you, it takes me, it takes all of us. Like be your own hero because no one's saving us. 
Yeah, I think that's especially important in, in the U.S. when there's an illusion that that of painless progress that all you have to do is pull a lever and and that's how change happens. You you did start this this uh, social media account, Vets Rise for Row. Why don't you talk about that for a minute? What is that, and why is that an important segment of people? You know, we've seen all these videos of people burning their uniforms of of speaking out, particularly as vets. And how do you see that, including? In your agitation yesterday, you made a point about the amount of sexual assault in the military. Maybe you could talk about that for a minute. Yes. So I made the page, and I first created it because I was was at one point really proud and linked to my service to this country. And then after the decision, it kind of it woke me up in a way that I wasn't prepared for. And I know a lot of other veterans weren't either. So I wanted to make that a page where people can come and know that they're not alone because veteran suicide is something that we're battling every single day. And that number continues to rise. And on top of that, uh, military sexual trauma is very rampant. And there's women who get raped by their own peers and have to deal with that. And then people are like, well, they could just get rid of it. They could just prove it's rape. So reporting has gone up 74% in the military on rape, but convictions have gone down. So there is this number that's not making any sense and there's no protection for the people in the military who don't have a choice, who you just, who America just told that if you're still in contract, you're no longer equal to your peers, but you still have to stand next to them why you can become a victim at their own hands. And that is not okay. And I want people to know that if you feel that way, that there's a place for you. And there's other people who feel like that. And there's the veterans crisis hotline that you can call and reach out. There's just options and availability because I I just don't want more people to die. And that's what it is. Yeah. I think those statistics are very, are very heavy. And and people want to find your Instagram, that Instagram account, it's vets.rise number four. Row R O E on Instagram. That's dot rise for row. Um, so Victoria, last question in terms of rise up for abortion rights. What's the what's the call for going forward? How do you see what the demands are? What people need to be doing right now? I would say definitely, if this is something that you're that's you're passionate about, look into your local chapters. If you don't have one create one. There's plenty of new ones popping up and find like-minded people because we need to unite together. This, it, ta- it doesn't take one of us. It takes all of us. And I know, I, honestly, I think we can make a change and it just, it just takes people coming together in, in the streets and raising your voice for what you think is right. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you said yesterday, this uh, putting forward this basic demand, no business as usual until legal abortion is restored nationwide now. And I think that that has to ring out. Um, You know, you said we were preparing, you said earlier, we can't, you know, voting is not enough. People have to get in the streets. I think that's really, really important and right. And so people can find the Rise Up for Abortion Rights chapter here in L.A. at Rise for Abortion Rights L.A., we were able, you were, you were, we didn't get to talk more about your arrest, but you were arrested by, I don't know, 50 cops. <laughs> Came and I, to undo you. I think yeah. it was more, to be honest, because I was laying down, but when I, when they 
when they got me, I looked around. I was like, really? There's like two of us. But I heard it was really excessive. So I just got out last night. And so I haven't looked at all the videos and pictures. But um, I, I'm looking forward to that because uh, <laughs> I heard it was very excessive. They blocked the street. We weren't even in the street. We were on the street. Like, what? Yeah, they, they block the street. So so people can find out more and find out how to support you. You're going to have a court date at the end of the month. And we did uh, a generous volunteer put, uh, donated, fronted your bail money, but there is a GoFundMe account to reimburse them to pay for the bail. So people can find all those links on the Rise Up for Abortion Rights social media, the LA chapter. Um, so thank you, Victoria. Any final comments before we, before we go to our next segment? Um, my final comment is, no business as usual when we don't have rights. Everybody out in the streets. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. We'll see you soon. And uh, and uh, thank you for, for putting your body on the line yesterday. It really mattered. Um, yeah, and thank um, you guys for the support and getting me out. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> of course. Um, okay. So, so that was Victoria Eggers with Vets Rise for Roe and Rise Up for Abortion Rights L.A., we uh, uh, you're listening to the Michael Slate Show. So I want to I want to pause for a quick break, and then we're going to hear more about this abortion rights emergency um, and kind of what's happened in the months since since Roe has fallen. So you just heard from Victoria Eggers. Uh, an activist with Rise Up for Abortion Rights L.A. and Vets Rise for Roe, talking about what she did yesterday, uh, part of a nonviolent civil disobedience action, to sound the alarm about the loss of the right to abortion across the country and the fact that when abortion is illegal, women die. Forced motherhood is female enslavement. Let's hear a segment from the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, from Sansara Taylor on what it's meant what has it meant for women and for all of society that abortion is now outlawed in large parts of the country and, and not protected federally? Back in the 1980s, Baba Bacon analyzed the ways that the social position of women and the traditional family was undergoing significant changes due to the fierce struggle of women for their liberation, as well as because of changes in the economy that were drawing more and more women into the workforce at all levels. Looking at this and how all of this was crashing up against the reality that the system we live under, capitalism, imperialism, has patriarchy and the patriarchal family woven into its dynamics and structures and cannot do it without it. Baba Vakian made this profoundly prescient, but his far-sighted observation. He said, the whole question of the position and role of women in society is more and more acutely posing itself in today's extreme circumstances. This is a powder keg in the U.S. today. It is not conceivable that all this will find any resolution other than in the most radical terms and through extremely violent means. The question yet to be determined is, will it be a radically reactionary or a radical revolutionary resolution? Will it mean the reinforcing of the chains of enslavement or the shattering of the most decisive links in those chains and the opening up of the possibility of realizing the complete elimination of all such forms of enslavement. And the truth of this powder keg and this intensifying contradiction about what the future will be for women has been borne out since that time. 
A Christian fascist movement has harassed and shamed women, bombed clinics, killed abortion doctors, captured the Republican Party, state legislatures, and now the Supreme Court. And now they've overturned abortion rights nationwide. And all along the way, they never hid their full mission to not just ban abortion, but to slam women backwards into open subordination to men and to the patriarchal family. And they've never hidden how this was a battering ram for a whole larger theocratic fascist program, taking back the rights of LGBTQ people, resurrecting undisguised white supremacy, and moving to rip up the rule of law and democratic and civil rights throughout the land. I'm sick and tired of hearing about all of the radicals and the perverts and the liberals and the leftists and the communists coming out of the closet. It's time for God's people to come out of the closets, out of the churches, and change America. Our form of government came directly from the Bible. There is no question about it. We have a threefold primary responsibility. Number one, get people saved. Number two, get them baptized. Number three, get them registered to vote. When two people in a family become absolutely legally equal, there is no head. Both become independent of each other, and love is destroyed. Of course, we had prayer in the schools until uh, 1962, and, and this country, uh, in a lot of ways, uh, was a lot better off before 1962. We, uh, I uh, agree with capital punishment, and I believe that homosexuality is one of those that could be coupled with uh, murder and, and other sins. It would be the government that um, is, sits upon this land who would be executing the homosexuals. Yet during this same time, what have the Democrats and those movements that have been slavishly tied to the Democratic Party, what have they been doing? They have not only failed to mobilize serious opposition in the streets to this enslaving drive to take away the right to abortion, they have sought common ground with these fascists. For years, Hillary Clinton and other leaders of the Democratic Party insisted that abortion should be safe, legal, and rare conveying that there is something wrong and shameful about women deciding for themselves when and whether to have a child. We can support a woman's right to choose that makes abortion safe, legal, and rare, and reduces the number of abortions. Our vision should be of an America where abortion is safe and legal, but rare. So let us work together to reduce the number of women seeking abortions. When Dr. George Tiller, an abortion provider of tremendous commitment, who continued to do abortions for women even after having been hunted down and shot in both arms by an anti-abortion fanatic. What I am doing is legal, what I'm doing is moral, what I'm doing is ethical, and you're not gonna run me out of town. When he was assassinated in his church in 2009. There were nearly a thousand people who turned out to his funeral in Wichita, Kansas. People who knew him, who loved him, who had his life, their lives given back to them through the abortions he provided. Let me tell you, not a single leader of the Democratic Party or not a single leader of any of these national movements of the so-called women's movement, so-called pro-choice organizations, none of them even showed up. I know, because I was there. This was shameful. Instead, these Democrats have led people to just absorb each new attack and just work to defend 
What is left of abortion rights on constantly shrinking ground again and again? Then last December, when it became clear that the Supreme Court was on track to overturn abortion rights nationwide, this dynamic of accommodation turned to outright capitulation. That is giving up without even waging a fight. You see, the Democratic Party was afraid to fight this attack. The Democrats were scared of the millions and millions of fascists who've been fighting for decades to overturn abortion rights and have proven time and again their willingness to resort to violence. You ain't seen the insurrection yet. You keep on pushing our buttons, you low down, sorry, compromisers. You God-hating communist America, you'll find out what an insurrection is because we ain't playing your garbage. We ain't playing your mess. My Bible says that the church of the living God is an institution that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the Bible says that we'll take it by force. That's what the Bible says. The Democrats were scared of the fact that the Supreme Court can no longer be relied on to hold back these attacks because it too has been captured by fascist fanatics. And the Democrats are terrified of the one force that does have an interest and could be mobilized to fight these attacks. The millions and millions of people in this country who support the right to abortion. Because despite appealing to these people for their vote, the Democrats know that if these people really got out in the streets to protest and resist this direction, if they got out there and got their fury being felt this could get way outside the bounds of the system that these Democrats represent and serve. And so this is why there was so much vitriol thrown at Rise Up for Abortion Rights when it did begin to get out there and tap into the fury of tens of thousands of people in this country, and especially the fury of young women whose whole future is on the line. And this is why a big part of the unprincipled attacks and lies that have been hurled at Rise Up for Abortion Rights have focused up on the role of the Revcoms. Because those who rule this system and others who have a lot invested in it, even if they pose as oppositional or radical, they are all terrified of a real revolution, a real strategy to bring this system down and the leadership for that, getting out there and connecting with this fury. And through it all, many of those who are now waging the most dishonest and unprincipled attacks have been busy trying to dress up their capitulation as defiance, trying to put perfume on shit. Some of them literally said, it doesn't matter if the Supreme Court overturns abortion rights. We'll have the abortion pill forever. Republicans might have the courts, but we're out here having abortions, right? They can't stop them. We'll just teach women how to induce their own abortions using the abortion pill that they can get through the mail. And one of their talking points was to stress that if something goes medically wrong, those women can just go to the hospital and their symptoms will present the exact same as a naturally occurring miscarriage. And so the hospitals will treat them just the same and it'll be safe and it'll be fine. Others said the focus should all be directed towards raising money to help women travel as abortion is banned where they live. So let's see how this is actually playing out now that abortion rights have been overturned. Sometime last year, a 35-year-old woman from Texas named Amanda suffered a miscarriage. The hospital promptly scheduled her for an appointment to scrape out the contents of her uterus to be sure she didn't hemorrhage or get infected. She was grief-stricken about the miscarriage, but the procedure went smoothly and the hospital staff was wonderfully supportive as they should be. So naturally, when she went to the exact same hospital earlier this year, in excruciating pain and massive bleeding, and she learned that she was again suffering a miscarriage, she asked for and she expected the same treatment. 
But the hospital said no. What had changed? In between these two miscarriages, Texas had banned almost all abortions. And the abortion rights activists were not wrong when they explained that the treatment for an incomplete self-induced abortion by the pill is no different than the treatment for a naturally occurring miscarriage. They weren't wrong that they present the same, but they were deadly wrong to suggest that women would now get the treatment that they need for either. What happened to Amanda next is barbaric. She was sent home by this hospital and she was forced to bleed and cramp in pain. So intense that she left fingernail marks scratched into the walls of her bathroom as she sat on the toilet and bled. And for 48 hours, this went on. She was bleeding and cramping, holding her husband's hand, and they were both crying. And even after the worst was over, this went on the bleeding for another week. And Amanda was lucky. All the fetal tissue left her body. She didn't get infected. She didn't die. But she could have. That is what happens to women all over the world. In 2012, 31-year-old Savita Halapanavar died after days of a worsening infection from a miscarriage, and she was in the hospital the entire time. But they wouldn't intervene because of the very strict anti-abortion laws in Ireland at that time. They let her die. Earlier this year, Isabella Sajbor sent text messages to her husband and her mother from a hospital in Poland where they let her die as she miscarried. My whole life is in danger, she wrote, adding, they cannot help as long as the fetus is alive. Thanks to the anti-abortion law, a woman is like an incubator. She texted this in her final moments before she died in a hospital. It's just a matter of time before this happens here. A woman named Gabriella from Missouri was denied the best medication for her miscarriage because of the anti-abortion laws. And even then, when she went to the pharmacy, she couldn't get the prescription for the medication they gave her until she was publicly shamed and humiliated by having to say through tears to the pharmacist that she was indeed having a miscarriage, not inducing her own damn abortion. Meanwhile, what of these abortion funds? Well, predictably, they are totally outstripped by the millions and millions of women who've already lost access. But that's not even the worst of it. Continuing with the same capitulationist logic, that led them to accept the fall of Roe without waging a fight. Many of them are closing up shop, turning their backs on the very women they claim to serve without a fight because they don't want to get in legal trouble now that there's abortion bans. Just think about the social effect it would have if some of these people were to stand up and say, we're still going to serve women. This is their lives at stake and risk the arrest and fought the arrest if it came. Imagine who could be mobilized to fight. You see, there is no progress without struggle and sacrifice. And that's what this pacified, domesticated, NGOI movement is so terrified of. Capitulating yet again, shattering lives in the process. Meanwhile, the full horror of what the loss of abortion rights nationwide means is just beginning to be felt. The lives shattered by forced motherhood. The doctors in jeopardy. The women with cancer who are being denied life-saving treatment out of protection of the fetus and so much worse to come. There's not going to be some muddling along in the middle. Things are going to extremes. So to repeat from that prescient quote from Bob Avakian with which I began this segment, the question yet to be determined is will it be a radical reactionary 
or a radical revolutionary resolution? Will it mean the reinforcing of the chains of enslavement or the shattering of the most decisive links in those chains and the opening up of the possibility of realizing the complete elimination of all forms of such enslavement? So it is necessary that people from very diverse political perspectives have come together and rise up for abortion rights to tell the truth that forced motherhood is female enslavement and to fight for abortion on demand and without apology. At the same time, as we live through seismic shocks, not only for the future of women, but in almost every dimension of society and the future itself is increasingly coming up for grabs, I want to put a serious challenge to you. Dig into Lift your sights to and take up the roadmap for a real revolution that Bob Avakian has laid out. Make your fight against the enslaving oppression of women today. Be part of getting to a world where never again does a woman anywhere on this planet have to bitterly remark that she is being treated as an incubator as she lay dying from the barbaric practices of this system. Break the chains. Unleash the fury of women as a mighty force for this revolution. I think it might rain today I saw on the ground Took all the heat we could take And then burn it down Now it's a real parade We're all welcome now As long as you feel afraid That's what it's You can call me irrelevant, insignificant You can try to make me small I'll be your heretic, you f***ing hypocrite I won't think of you at all Sticks and stones and all That was Sunsara Taylor you heard right before you got a treat of listening to Pink's new song. Um, people should go check that out, Pink Irrelevant. And you heard from Sunsara Taylor from the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, uh, which you can see at youtube.com slash the RevCom. So you heard from Sunsara Taylor. That was an excerpt from the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show, um, which you can watch at youtube.com slash the RevComs, bringing you the cold, hard truth of, of the situation we're in and what's needed right now. Um, so let's go now. We're going to uh, kind of continue on where Sunsara left off on the challenge to dig in the leadership that we have in this moment. We're going to hear an excerpt from Bob Avakian. He's a revolutionary leader. He's the architect of a new communism, and he's under a lot of really ugly attack. And so we're going to hear for directly from Bob Avakian about the leadership we, we need in this moment and overall for an actual revolution. I just want to touch on a couple of quick points and then move to a conclusion. I thank you all for hanging in with me all this time. Something that's out there that I wanted to speak to in terms of leadership and my own leadership in particular is I know this goes on in whispers or some people say this among themselves if they don't always say it out loud. Especially among people who've had the bitter experience of being betrayed by leaders in particular great white fathers. They say, B.A., why do you have to be white? Why couldn't you be black or something? Now, I used to get this back in high school. 
Back in the days at Berkeley High School where I went to school, my black friends would often say to me, Bobby, that's what they used to call me back then, Bobby, it's a shame you're white. You would make a really great brother. Now, I've always considered that the highest of compliments. But here's the thing. If I were black, I wouldn't be Latino. If I were half black and half Latino, or part black, part Asian, part Latino, and part Native American, and still from America, I wouldn't be from the other parts of the world that are dominated and plundered by American imperialism. I wouldn't be Bangladeshi or Iranian or Arab, for example. If I were male, I wouldn't be female. If I were female and straight, I wouldn't be gay. And so on, and so on, and so on. And where does this end? And really, what is this all about? Once more, we're back to the question, what is the leadership we need? Well, that depends on what we're striving for. It's back to the big question. Why are we in the situation we're in today? Can anything be done to really change this? And if so, what is that change? And how can that change be brought about? To put it another, perhaps simpler way, what is the problem and what is the solution? That tells us what we need to be aiming for and therefore what kind of leadership we need. Now, as a matter of fact, what I am today is in very important ways and to a very great degree the result of the influence of black people in their struggle. Although there have been other influences that have also played an important part in my development. But the most important thing is this. At a certain point, I made a leap to becoming a revolutionary and a communist. And that is a leap that people, more and more people, have to make who want to see an end to all this madness and want a whole new liberating reality for humanity. If we want a world where never again will another youth be shot down by marauding, murderous police, where never again will a woman be raped or brutalized, where never again will masses of women and men be treated in any way as less than fully human, where never again will children die in huge numbers in their infancy, and never again will generation after generation face the same killing madness. If we want a world where all this is finally ended, along with a thousand other outrages that seem so much a natural part of the human condition, but in fact are totally unnecessary at this point in human history, we need communist leadership, the most advanced, seriously scientific, and far-seeing communist leadership we can get. Many people also say, well, if B.A. is our leader, the leader of this revolution, then we need to be able to see him and talk to him directly. But the point is, what someone stands for and where this will lead people, what will happen if that person's ideas are taken up and fought for? That is the fundamental question, not whether you can see somebody and literally touch them. And there is the fact 
let's be real here, revolution, if it's going to succeed, is going to involve millions and millions of people. And while it is a great thing to have the chance to be among and talk to some of these people who will be part of this revolution, still there are bigger things that have to be kept in mind, including how the powers that be look at and seek to deal with revolutionary leaders. And the fact is that even if I devoted the rest of my life to this, there is no way that I could personally meet with anything more than a small part of the millions who must be part of this revolution. We have launched a campaign, which you call BA Everywhere, to get this new synthesis of communism, the body of work, the method of approach, and the leadership that is involved with this out very broadly in society. We still have much work to do on that, and we need to go out and raise big money from all kinds of people and get big contributions of ideas, people giving 50 cents or $50,000 and contributing all kinds of ideas of how we can actually break through and, and get this revolution, the need for this revolution and the leadership we have for this revolution and the content of this revolution out broadly impacting society in a big way. This is what we need to be doing. And in carrying this out in a real sense, the answer to the question, where is BA, needs to be everywhere. <laughs> this is how the question has to be understood and approached. How can you tell if a leader and a party are for real and will lead things where they need to go? In most basic terms, this is a matter of line, as we say, or to put it another way, a matter of policy and guidelines for the struggle. But above all, a matter of outlook and method and basic strategy and program that set the terms in a, in a fundamental sense for how the struggle should be carried out and carry forward and toward what ends all along the way and in an overall way. What line is put forward by a leader or group? How is that line carried out and to what effect? Those are the key questions. Now, defending and protecting leadership, as we have put it in our party, building a wall of support and defense around leadership, which really does represent the revolutionary way forward, working to defeat attacks on this leadership and to turn this into further exposure of this system and resistance against its completely illegitimate rule. This is a crucial part of building the movement for revolution and working to bring into being the basis for revolution and then actually making this revolution when the time is right, when the conditions have been brought into being and the millions and millions who must make this revolution are ready and determined to fight to make it. You just heard from Bob Avakian. That was an excerpt from a talk he gave, B.A. Speaks Revolution Nothing Less. And it is the title that the RNL Revolution Nothing Less show on YouTube takes its name. You are listening to The Michael Slate Show. I'm your guest host, Annie Day. So we're going to move into our last segment here, which is an excerpt from last night's RNL Revolution Nothing Less show. Again, you can watch that at youtube.com slash the RevComs. And, and it, we're going to hear an excerpt from a recent webinar uh, of, uh, of, of coming off and speaking to the attacks 
on the Revcoms on Rise Up for Abortion Rights, which uh, you heard some about last week. And uh, this is introduced by Rafael Kadara. So let's go into that last segment. The day after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade, as thousands of people were taken to the streets nationwide in outrage, a group of pro-choice activists launched a vicious attack on Rise Up for Abortion Rights, full of slanders, distortions, and outright lies, with a particular focus on baseless accusations directed at Babavakian and the Revcoms. These lies spread across the internet and were further amplified in the Daily Beast and the supposedly progressive Intercept, and then picked up by the fascist Daily Caller and law enforcement today. This disinformation campaign has been thoroughly refuted at riseupforabortionrights.org, revcom.us, and right here on the RNL Show. This past Monday night, RNL Show host Andy Z and co-host Sansara Taylor held a Zoom webinar to flip the script on these attacks and involve many more people in going on the counteroffensive with this revolution and the leadership we have for this revolution in Babavakian. The webinar was titled, When Headlines Scream, Communist Cult is Hijacking the Abortion Rights Movement. What are they trying to stop and what don't they want you to know? Over 200 people participated in this webinar. People made comments and asked questions live as well as in the chat. Here's a small sample of what was said and the responses from Andy and Sansara. We need a lot more discussion and debate, and we'll be featuring more of this kind of engagement in the weeks ahead. So let's get into it. I think, you know, something that's confusing for a lot of people, especially a lot of well-intentioned people, is that a lot of these attacks are coming from people who proclaim themselves to be communists or socialists or, or leftists of some sort, anti-capitalists, and that they therefore dodge the accusation of, of, of engaging in any kind of, you know, McCarthyism or, or whatever, and that it gives them some kind of kind of credentials, right? Some um, for people. And so I, I just wondering if you could speak to that. There's a lot there, but the particularity of the attacks that are coming from other self-proclaimed leftists on Rise Up, BA, and the Revcoms. It's one thing when people who are, you know, mainstream establishment liberals or fascists are attacking Rise Up and the Revcoms and BA. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a different thing, I think. Um, and so I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to maybe where that's coming from and why that might be so. First of all, I, I want to acknowledge that for a lot of people, it's it's really it's really outrageous when the rulers, the oppressors come down like a ton of bricks on on the masses of people. It's it's infuriating and people want to fight it. But it is like John said, it's very disorienting and often very demoralizing. When and especially the first time you really get hit by it, you get hit by attacks from people who are, quote unquote, supposed to be on your side. And I know it's it's you know, I just want to acknowledge that because I think a lot of people have especially I know a lot of the young people who got involved and in not only but got involved in standing up against the assault on abortion rights. And then not only did the state take this right away and women's lives are being shattered and all of this is coming down. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but then you have this ugly really ugly accusations, snark, slander, all this stuff coming from, quote unquote, the left. And so it is disorienting. But I want to say, you know, we didn't play it here, but in the episode 111, we played from Baba Bacon on All Played Out, which is an amazing spoken word piece put to beautiful uh, music by William Parker, the bassist, jazz bassist um, and other uh, musicians. And, and he says, look, the 
you have a left, quote unquote, in this country that is dried up and desiccated. When they talk of socialism, it's lacking any vitality or love. And it's definitely lacking an internationalism and lacking the real fire of bringing this system down and overthrowing it. And so you have and I'm not not everybody who considers themselves of the left, but you definitely have people who have built up an identity for themselves. And in a certain sense, uh, a commodity of being I'm I'm a leftist, I'm a communist, I'm a this, I'm a that. But they're not actually working to bring this system down. They're not actually willing to go and wage the struggle necessary for that, both up against the enemy and up against the, the backwards ways of thinking among the people. A lot of what passes for socialism and communism in this country, and especially among those attacking, is let's let's get a little bit more of the spoils of the American empire and distribute them a little bit better to those of us living here. What about the little guy in this parasitic country? But it's not about ending imperialism and the exploitation of this country over the rest of the planet. And I just think this is there is as much animosity for real revolution among some of these eddies. And I really mean, if, if you know, it's like a river is like moving, raging, the water is moving. It's it's there's currents. And eddy is that little part that swirls on the edge and circles and it gets rancid and things grow in it and it's not fresh water. And it's going around and around. These are little eddies. They're part of the ecosystem of, of capitalism, imperialism, of, of niches of people who have a career and a lifestyle and an identity built up in being an oppositional force within the empire. But they're not actually about ending this empire. And, and what BA is doing and what the Revcoms are doing is actually outside of that and about bringing this down. And it's worth noting, too, that when you go outside, the movement. And we have to get way beyond, if we're going to make a revolution, we have to get way beyond the so-called movement. We have to get to the millions and millions of people in this country who are not, who are being forced to think about things that are crashing into their lives right now because of the crisis of this system and the horrors it carries out, but are not sitting there living and, and found a, a, a lifestyle being in a, a, being in a movement. The people who are living and, and, and looking at this world and open to radical understanding of the root of the problem and the, and the and the way to change it and the leadership that we have for that. And I'm not writing off everybody in the movements. I'm not writing off everybody in the left far from it. I'm just saying people, there are people, you think about it for a second, it makes sense. That's, that's a, that's a part of the ecosystem of the empire is a, is people who have, that's their lifestyle. I want to speak to something which I think is very important that people look at this because you say, John, that people, something that really confuses a lot of well-intentioned people is that a lot of these attacks are coming from self-proclaimed socialists and even communists. Okay, they proclaim themselves that. But then we should ask them a question. Honest people should ask them a question. What's your vision of socialism? Who does it include and who does it not include? Is it only for people in this country or is it something that everybody around the world should include? Is, is the socialism just going to be about uh, everybody getting a fair share of uh, a fair income, or is it going to be actually overcoming things like patriarchy and and the oppression of people because of the nationality they are or the gender they are? What about that? How are you? And then ask them, how are you going to overcome that? You think you can overcome that? Uh, uh, you know, with under the uh, as long as you have capitalist banks and financial institutions and corporations that have only one purpose, which is the purpose of turning a profit. How are you going to do that? 
Oh, you can't do it that. So you need a you need a different social system, a different economic system. This is a big part of what Bob Aiken's gone into. You need a different mode of production from what people live under today. Okay, you need a different. Now, how are you going to get that when you have an entire state structure of police and FBI and, and National Guard and armies and all of this enforcing all this? You have to have a revolution to get rid of that. Okay, but then you have a revolution. You think everything's going to go, what's your strategy for once you have a revolution for actually getting to overcome all forms of oppression? Have you thought about that? No, I don't think you have yet. See, let, let's look at, you can go to the websites of, of these various socialists and communists and anarchist groups and see, well, what, what is their future? What, 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 how do they envision the future? What's their program for that? And then go read some Bob Avakian and see how he's actually developed a constitution where people would have a far better a far better way of life, a greater ability to participate in society and could go to work on overcoming all these forms of oppression. This is a big deal. We're not sitting here saying Bob of Aiken, Bob of Aiken because, you know, oh, but because he's developed a way out of the madness. Then about an hour into the Zoom call, some haters and trolls got in the chat trying to bait people into responding to the grievances of NYC for abortion rights the group that launched these unprincipled attacks in the first place. Here, Sansara Taylor speaks to the line that must be drawn between the kind of principled discussion and debate we need with those who disagree with us on the one hand, and the kind of lies and counter-revolutionary wrecking activity that we will not debate and that no one should tolerate on the other hand. Watch this. I see in the chat people linking to New York City for abortion rights are the ones who launched the original attack on Rise Up for Abortion Rights and on the RevComs and BA. And people are saying, read their politics. Here's their link. They did protest, blah, blah, blah. I acknowledge that. They did protest. We did not. I just want to be clear. We did not launch an attack on New York City for abortion rights. We actually rise up. I know because I was involved in it. We reached out to them. We reached out to all these organizations. We said, let's unite all who can be united. If you care about this, let's stand up and stop the overturning of Roe. They did not take us up on that. We still didn't attack them. They issued a libelous COINTELPRO style attack, which is destructive to the truth, to justice, to movements of opposition, and yes, to revolution and revolutionary leaders in a country where anybody who claims to be a leftist ought to know or ought to find out quickly that this country, like every country, but especially this one, has a history of targeting, isolating, and neutralizing revolutionary leaders. And a big part of how they do that is they create a cloud of suspicion, of rumor-mongering, not principled debate. So when they issued an attack like that, that crosses a line. And at this point, I don't want to have a discussion with them about their strategy. People should not work with people who launch counter-revolutionary and unprincipled and dishonest wrecking opportunist attacks. If they repudiate that, if they take it down, which would be easy to do, especially since it's dishonest, if they say this was wrong and here's what we've learned and actually we have a different strategy, let's discuss that, that would be fine. But I'm sorry, there's not, you don't get to, you don't get to, and I don't mean it like just a personal thing you don't get to, it is destructive to the interests of the people to the fight for justice in a better world, to blur the lines between, and people have been asking this in the chat too, oh, are you engaging in cancel culture? Cancel culture is wrecking and rendering people toxic based on rumors and, and things that are secondary 
and things that don't characterize them overall and, and being afraid of engaging what they actually have to say. What was done with these attacks and the people who participated in them is destructive. It crossed a line. And people need to learn the difference and draw that line sharply. I don't think there's a debate to be had until they repudiate their lies and wrecking. After Andy Z spoke to the breadth and depth of Baba Vakian's whole body of work, inviting people to use their critical thinking skills and get into it, some haters in the chat started complaining about people plugging Baba Vakian. Here's how Sansara Taylor responded. I really, I, I appreciate everybody who, who spent two plus hours. Really, these questions matter. You put your time, you put your thoughts, they're very thoughtful comments. We're going to get into them. And I know there's people who couldn't resist coming in and trying to spread it. And I just can't resist one piece of bait they put at the end. So I'm going to touch it and then I'm going to say goodnight. Somebody says, oh, here it comes, the BA plug. Which I have to say, first of all, I'd rather, you're never going to make me feel ashamed of standing up for, proudly fighting for, saying that I follow and encouraging others to follow somebody who's put themselves to how to bring this beast of imperialism down and lift it off the backs of humanity. I mean, if that's what you got, oh, you're going to plug the guy who's figured out how to emancipate humanity. If that's what you have to come with, it's weak. Okay. This is BA is somebody who is. Think about what that means. Year after year after year, people turn their backs on revolution. People give up. Those who used to be into the revolution make careers out of attacking it because they can become professors. They can get their books published. They have positions. B.A. didn't take this road because it was the easy road. He took it because everything that that generation in the 60s fought against, the imperialist wars, the destruction of the planet that people were just starting to come to grips with and begin to recognize. The violent centuries, millennia of subjugation of women being treated as objects and possessions. And there was a struggle, a women's liberation movement here and around the world, people lifting their heads. And yes, everything Jim talked about, the struggle of gay people, lesbians. And then as that expanded, as that question got pushed forward and people stood up, LGBTQ rights and the and BA actually leading the Revcoms to re-examine the, uh, the inherited communist position on, on those questions and break new ground and so many other questions. This matters. I'm plug that anytime, any day, anywhere. And I'd be proud of it, you know, and it was more than a plug and it's shameful. You want to argue another way out, bring your best argument. Don't bring that garbage. And nobody watching should have one ounce. Yes, all that's playing on is the social prejudices of people who've been, yes, brainwashed by growing up in this parasitic society that you shouldn't follow anybody. The only thing that matters is you. And no, 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 you're not being led around when you're being told to just go along with the workings of this system. So yeah, th th that kind of attack plays on popular prejudices. It's cheap. And we should, you know, we should have no defensiveness in the face of it. We should call it out and we should tell people Absolutely. What examine, compare this, compare that, compare where this leader is going, compare that other. And let's have a debate on the substance. And the, the other thing I want to say is to everybody, Andy, you said this earlier, but it matters to everybody who saw the horror. And sensed it on some level and frankly came to deeper grips with it as they stood up. What it means that the state was going to take away women's right to abortion 
rip this right away, slam women backwards and as a linchpin and battering ram of a whole fascist assault and put themselves to that fight shoulder to shoulder with people who are nothing like them, people they didn't know, people who thought differently than them, including, yes, some revcoms who played an important role in that, as did others from their own perspective. If you were part of that, that was right. And more people need to be part of it. It mattered. It actually mattered. We did not win, but it mattered. There's a fighting pull. There's an opposition. There's a, there's a refusal in the bloodstream of this country's psyche right now that wouldn't have been there if not for what we did together. And people need to come back into that and strengthen that and, and rebuff. You don't have to, honestly, you don't have to agree with the RevComs. You don't even have to engage BA. I would argue you should, but you don't have to engage BA and the RevComs to be in Rise Up, to be in that fight. But all of us who care about justice and principle and the future need to reject and call out the scurrilous attacks on Rise Up for Abortion Rights, on the RevComs, on myself and on BA, because this is destructive to humanity's future and our ability to stand together and fight. And so there's a there's a lot at stake. It's really important we took this time together. We're going to go into it more. We're going to stay on these questions and we're going to do it as part of going on the offense to change the world, because that's the whole point. That was Sunsara Taylor and Andy Z in an excerpt from a webinar uh, that uh, was played last night on the RNL, the Revolution Nothing Less show. You can watch the full thing at youtube.com slash the RevComs. Thank you for tuning in to the Michael Slate Show. Thank you, Gary Baca and Henry Carson, our engineer and assistant, and we will see you next week. See you in the street. We all know those who fought before us. 